So welcome to Global Citizen Life. Today on our podcast, we have Darren Smith joining us. Welcome, Darren. Thank you very much for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Great. So can you tell our listeners a, a little bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an entrepreneur? Absolutely. So I work as a film producer full time. That's my trade. And that's what I do most of the time. But I also work with creative entrepreneurs and business owners as a consultant. So there's notoriously a few dead months in the film industry between December and February. Nobody likes to go out. Nobody likes to work. And so the, the industry kind of shuts down. So it worked out nicely to have a little bit of a consulting practice during those few months. But my journey to becoming a entrepreneur is a long one. <laughs> um, if you look at my grandfathers, they were both entrepreneurs, self-employed individuals. My dad and mom are self-employed individuals. And so it's kind of in the DNA, I guess, that it's always been a viable option. It's always really been what I've known um, it seemed much more foreign to me to go and take a job and work at the same place doing the same thing every day than to be able to have the variety and the freedom of being an entrepreneur. So as early as, I mean, junior high and high school, I was mowing lawns and I was, you know, getting jobs, doing odd jobs for neighbors. And then I was a musician and I started a band and we were playing at the Winco grand opening up the street and making $250 like for me, it was just what people did. And so all the way from when I was in at college, I started a company and I've been my own boss since, you know, 2006. Um, it's just been the way that I've always done things and the way that I see the world. So that's the short version. <laughs> all right. No, that's, that's great. Um, it's interesting because mine is a little bit opposite, but same, some, some similarities with that. So for me, my, my family has always been, you, you know, go to school, you get a job, you work hard. Um, we, I grew up on a farm for a few years when I was, when I was younger. So the whole entrepreneurship business work for yourself, it was completely foreign to everyone in my family. Even to this day, I'm the only one that's self-employed. But when I was younger, I would mow lawns. Kids used to make fun of me at school saying I walked my lawnmower more than my dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was. And 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 I would uh, do like other things. I remember I went to a lady's house and asked her for some of her flowers in the front of her house and then went door to door selling them. And for me, I thought it was totally normal. I'm like, what's these are normal things to do, right? And everybody thought I was crazy and weird, but whatever, maybe I was, but... <laughs> We're all crazy and weird. That's part of the game here. <laughs> that's that's right. what is normal anyway. Like, yeah, who want, who wants to be normal? Yeah, that's great. And so, I guess your your perspective of knowing that that's you know kind of been your history is is working for yourself and and running a business. How did you get into the film industry? Yeah, kind of um, through a back door, honestly. So I started as a musician, like I mentioned. And when I was at university, I went there on a saxophone performance scholarship. I was a jazz saxophone player. And within the first year of going to college and doing a music degree, I realized this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. I loved performing and they really sucked all the fun out of it because it was practice three to four hours a day, being three or four different um ensembles or bands or combos or things like that 
and there was no time for anything else. And I'm sitting there going, well, I want to play soccer and volleyball and I want to do dancing and I want to do government. And like, I want to study psychology. Like I had all these different varied interests and that's really what I thought I was going to school for. And they're like, no, we own you basically for eight hours, <laughs> 10 hours a day. I didn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And so I had a two-year period where I was not at school. I actually did a service mission for my church as a missionary. And so I was in Washington, D.C. for two years. And by the time I came back, I was like, man, I could go into law. I could go into entertainment. I could go into all these different directions. I didn't know. So they were ready for me to come back and start playing again. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to be a musician. Like, I don't think that's the route I'm going to take because I saw two routes. You could be a teacher or performer, and I didn't really want to be either one. And so I started doing sound, but on the non-performing side. So as an engineer, I got into engineering and doing live sound and working in a studio at, at uh, the university I went to, Brigham Young University, and quickly fell in love with it. I loved being the guy behind the soundboard. I loved the tech. I loved getting into you know all of the signal chain and why does it work and how does it work? And I can trace that back to when I was six years old, taking apart telephones and wondering what, how those work, you know? So it just made sense to me. And I got really good at it really quickly. And soon I was like a senior engineer on, on campus and I ended up starting my own sound company. And I did my internship with an individual named Mike McDonough, who was a post-production sound engineer. He had done a bunch of IMAX movies, did movies like Forever Strong. And I worked with him on a few projects during my internship. It's like, man, this is way better than music because the hours are nine to five. I don't have to work weekends. I have consistency. I have a set amount of pay. Like, this is awesome. And I also looked around and saw that there was no one else doing it besides him. So I saw a huge opportunity, whereas on the music side, everyone was leaving their university. They were graduating and then starting their own sound recording company, their own studio. And I was like, I don't want to compete with 30 other recording studios. That's a terrible idea. So that just kind of led from being a post-production sound engineer to being on set sometimes as a sound mixer. And then I was a writer. And then I started a video production company with a friend and became a producer. That was around 2012. So it's now, you know, 13 years later, whatever it is, 11, 12 years later, and I'm a full-time film producer. So it was really about where am I going to find my place in this industry where I can get paid what I want, I have the freedoms I want, I enjoy my work, and it ultimately led to being a producer. And I think those are some some very good points that you made is, is doing what we love to do. Too many people get locked up into that I should, and I, I'm really trying hard to take that word out of my vocabulary because nobody should do anything. It's like, what do you want? What do you desire? What do you like? What do you enjoy? And, and finding those things is very important because they either do something that they think their parents or family or friends think um, that they should do. Um, And either, and some like, a while ago, I was I was talking with somebody I used to tutor English online, and they were saying, oh, I'm, I'm taking, I can't remember what it was. It was something, and I said, oh, do you really like that? No, I don't, but the money's good. And I just said, that's a bad idea, because no amount of money can make you happy if you hate going to work every day. Um, it's just awful. So it's, it's great that you found that. And, and I'm sure there was some... Um, 
you know, some sacrifices and, and things along the way. It, it wasn't a, a smooth, easy ride uh, to to get to where you're at, because as, as all of us as business owners know, you know, there's there's everything in life is give and take. And then there's definitely things that we have to sacrifice or or put in more time. And that takes away from other things sometimes. Yeah, it certainly was a long road. It was 12 years before I produced my first feature film as a producer. So everything that led up to that, all the commercials and the documentaries and the TV shows and all those things that led to it, a lot of it, I attribute a lot of my success for just staying in the game long enough. It was 12 years before I got my first break as a producer. So yeah, a lot of times we need to realize it takes time, but I think it was Tony Robbins that says we need to stop shooting all over ourselves. <laughs> yes, yes, I've, I've heard that. It might've been him that that said that. And, and it's it's true. The only thing we should do is what we enjoy in life and, and know that, you know, any, how does it go? All good things take time. You know, it's, it's, it's easy to get up and I'm, I'm terrible in a way that I have shiny object syndrome and I think I can do anything and I believe I can do anything, but my thing is I can't do everything and yeah. I'll start many things. And I've, I've done many things too. Um, and I've enjoyed all of them, but then I think I dive so much in that I kind of, I don't want to use the word burnt out, but I get bored. And so now I've got about two or three things that I'm kind of working on and doing, because then when I don't feel like working on one thing, I have the the couple other things um, that I work on that help kind of split up the time. Or maybe just sometimes it's just to give our brain a break and to yeah. work on something a little bit different. They all somewhat intertwine and they're all things that I like to do. And I think that too is for a lot of people is we don't just like one thing. So why should we just stick to one thing lots of things can be integrated and every now and then there's something that's you know maybe completely out there or different but we can still integrate that or find ways to to capitalize on it or make money or just share it with other people because we enjoy it yeah so true my flavor of that is if things aren't working as quickly or as well as i want them to then i'll mm -hmm. add another project i'll just do something else so i've started a community and I have a newsletter and a blog and a podcast and I've written books and I'm a film producer and I do all these things. And a lot of those are, it's not the route that I recommend to other people. I say, pick one thing and do it until it works. But I haven't lived up to that as well as I should, because it's like a fear mechanism. It's like, oh, it's not working. So I better do something else to kind of cover my bets. And what it ends up doing though, is diffusing my focus and energy across multiple projects. And then the one that really should be getting 80, 90% of my time and energy is getting 30%. And that's not a good way to make progress in your business or in a creative project. And so I've been really working hard on that this last year or so. Like, okay, I know it's not working yet, but if I add another project, I'm gonna be making half as much progress every day. And so it's giving it that extra little bit of focus to go, okay, now I'm seeing the progress that I was hoping for three months ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and it's, it is about time management too. So, um, you know, the more, as you said, if we focus on one and get it going and working, then we're giving it a hundred percent. It's going to get there faster, even though it's still going to take time. But sometimes what I'll do is I'll say, okay, this is my main thing. It's kind of my Monday to Friday, nine to five. And then I might have my side project or something, the other things that I like to work on. I say evenings or weekends, but 
sometimes I do do some of that during the day because I would prefer to work on it or just needing a break. And so time management is tough and it's, it's hard, but, but you have um, several things going. So how do you balance your time between if correct me if I'm wrong, it's three different companies. um, And then do you have like the blog, the podcast and that for all three or how, how do you, no, what do you, that would, be brutal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would, I would keel over and die. Um, yeah. So I have, yes, I do have three main things that I'm working on right now. So the, the one that's really front and center at the moment is Craftsman Films. That's my film production company and I'm raising a film fund and that's what I do my movie producing under. So I'm working on a feature film right now while I'm also raising money. So really that's 80, 90% of my time right now. But I also have another business called Craftsman Creative, and that's my consulting business where I work with creative entrepreneurs and business owners. And that's where I have my newsletter and my blog and my podcast and the books and the membership and all those things. But everybody in my ecosystem kind of knows that I'm a film producer because I'm very vocal about it. And I talk about what the behind the scenes look like and what did I learn from film producing that I can then integrate into creative businesses. And that's really where the consulting came from. It was applying systems and frameworks and proven things from the film world, which were taking, you know, millions of dollars and hiring hundreds of people in two months and then shooting for a month. And then three months later, it has to be ready for distribution and to go to market. Like, that's crazy. It only works because of systems. So that's really where the consulting side came from or the angle came from. And then I also have the business that, started as Craftsman Creative. It was an online course business. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I started with two of my own online courses because I'd always wanted to make them and I finally had time to do so. I got furloughed from a TV show I was working on and just like for the first time ever, I had four months of free time and I was like, well, well, I'll make some courses and build a site and everything. So I did that and then I started creating courses or producing courses for other creators and just putting them on my site because I built the platform as well. And then fast forward two years, it's a six-figure business with 18 courses on the site. But around that time that I had produced all the courses, I really wanted Craftsman Creative to be my brand. So I wrote a book and really took all of the, the website and everything was like, it's me. This is Darren Smith's company. And But what that did was kind of shortchanged the courses. They were kind of taking a back seat and they were not front and center on the homepage. They were a button that led to a separate page, right? So I recently, just about two months ago, split that business off into its own business called Lightbulb Courses. And that's now that we've done a big launch, it's kind of running in the background and it's in maintenance mode. So it's working and the course partners can sell their courses and make money, but I'm not trying to grow it actively other than you know an hour or two a week just to check in and maybe write some new emails and stuff like that. So those are the three that are front and center, but yeah, it definitely requires a brain like mine or the brain of a business owner. So a lot of the consulting I do and the coaching especially is where I take someone who's a very, very talented artist or entrepreneur, and they're a creative individual, but they have never cracked, say, six figures a year in revenue. And my reason why is they haven't ever built systems and they've never approached it as a business owner. So they've they've done the, the maximum they can do as an artist or an entrepreneur. And what they do in order to try to grow is they say, well, I'm going to make more art. 
I'm going to create more things as an entrepreneur. So you see all these people that are on Twitter and LinkedIn going, I'm going to do 12 SaaS projects in 12 months. I'm like, why? Do one and get it working. And then that can be your one thing. But it's because they don't know how to get past that initial creation and launch phase. So helping artists and entrepreneurs and business owners realize that they're approaching it like an artist and they need to actually approach it like a business owner. And when they do that, it unlocks crazy amounts of growth because they're building assets that are working for them in the background. They have systems for lead generation and awareness and engaging people over email and their product ecosystem is now more robust and profitable. And so we take all these systems apply into their businesses so that they can go back and ultimately do what they want to do, which is be an artist full time. But now they can do it sustainably because their business is profitable and paying them six figures a year and they have all the freedom that they ultimately were trying to get by doing this uh, the way they were doing it. Right. And, and I think, I mean, obviously systems are key, you know, with, with everything, if you have a system in place and, and it's something that I need to work on. And I was actually, even this morning, I was going through some stuff and I said, okay, I need to, I need a better system for this. Cause I've got some things that I'm posting in LinkedIn, some things I'm posting on Facebook um, and, and different times. And I'm like, but I need them to go from one to another. And, and it's, it's, it's kind of all over the place. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. And I'm just the, today I was thinking, I need to, I need to get this better. Like I know how it is, but it's different spreadsheets. And so definitely systems are key. And I also think too, it's also quality over quantity. And one of the downfalls that I see a lot, um, I'm like, I'm a fan of click funnels. I like click funnels and they really promote the, the ladder. So you have your, your, your different tiers of prices. So you have like your low, medium, or yeah, low, medium, low, medium, medium, high, high. And, and so the thought that with that can be overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are very successful doing it, but it's, you can't come up with all of a sudden 10 or 12 products, like to come up with one a month, as you said, there's not enough time to promote and market, maybe over the span of a few years, you, we can build up and do that. But to, to have that many, it's just, it's, it's like a being on a wheel that you're never going to get off. And then, for me, it's social media, not a fan of it. I, like I do it, I need to, I know it's part of it, but I've really actually kind of gone back. Um, and I was just thinking, I'm, I'm cutting out quite a bit of my social media. Um, there's, I'm only going to be focusing on two, maybe three platforms and, and that's it. And, and I'm, I'm okay with that now because I just think sometimes, sometimes it's a waste of time. Yeah. I 100% agree. The other thing that's really pernicious about social media is that you're constantly feeding your brain this gap of where you are and what you don't have compared to other people and where they are and what they do have. And every time you scroll and you see another post or another video, there's another thing that's stacked on that pile of all the things you don't have. And you're you're experiencing this gap in real time constantly, frequently, over and over and over again, all day long for hours on end. And so what happens when you turn that off and you turn around and you're like, great, I'm going to write a chapter of my book now. Yeah, right. You're in such a terrible, limited mindset of like, I can't do anything. I'm not good enough. That's the belief that you end up with. I'm not good enough compared to all these people. And so it limits you and your potential because you then don't take any action. 
So you've scrolled, 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 and you're like, great, I need to be done with this, or I've hit my time limit for the day. Now I'm going to create, and you're stuck. And so you sit there stuck for an hour, and then you the hour goes by, you have to go do something else. You have to pick up your kids or go on a date with your spouse, and you didn't create today. Well, why? It's because of that social media gap that we keep presenting ourselves with. We're doing it to ourselves. That's the crazy part. Self-inflicted. So, my gosh, when I'm in creative mode, I turn that stuff off because I can't allow myself to get really poisoned by exposing myself to that gap over and over and over and over again, because that's what tends to pop up on my feeds when I scroll them. So if I'm working on a book or working on a film or working on a creative project, I, all the social goes away because I know how pernicious it is and how limiting it is when I'm trying to do creative work. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and lots of times for me, like in general, my phone is off, like the power's on, but sorry, I should rephrase that. All, all of the notifications on my phone are off yeah. 24-7. Volume's off, even the vibrate sound usually off. Um, and so I have to literally think about, oh, I haven't checked my phone today. I wonder if I have messages. Um, unless I'm expecting something important, then then I'll have that one on. But it's off. And I, I used to start just having it in another room. And now I it just everything's off. So if I don't look, then and and you know, I'm not not missing out on anything. Like if friends leave a message, they leave a message or send a text, they know I'm working. Or even if I if I'm out for lunch or dinner with friends, like I never check my phone unless we're debating a topic or something, you know, you want to find out who's right. Yeah. But I, I think that's one of the best things about phones is they're there for our convenience. And, and social media is a marketing tool. And that's the way that I, I see it. It's a marketing tool. I use it as a marketing tool. Um, and even the odd times that I do scroll a bit, if I'm going to like something or, or save it or comment, I always think the algorithm knows, do I really want to see more of this stuff? And 90% of the time I don't. So then when I am scrolling, I am seeing more things that I'm interested in um, because every now and then I pick up a new tip or, or check out something that's new and it's great. And so I think it's really being aware of every um, website we go on, everything that we scroll through, anything we like, comment, anything, we're going to get more of that. And to think, do I really need to read this article? Do I really need to like that photo? Because those are the more things that are going to come within our feeds. Yeah. I think a lot of it's driven by what we don't know yet. So hmm. we're thinking, oh, there's got to be answers there. Cause I see all these people online who have figured it out. So I'm going to go and I'm going to follow and I'm going to get more information so that I can then apply it, right? I think we don't need more information. If you're listening to this podcast, you have enough information. Keep listening to this podcast for sure. Yeah, this one. But Keep listening to this other one. Ones, <laughs> you don't need another podcast and you don't need to be on social media. You don't need another book and you don't need another blog post. You need to go and take action, action. on one thing that you already know you should be doing in your business. And so that's where I always start from. I actually built a scorecard about eight months ago that literally the whole purpose is to say, this is the one thing you should be focusing on right now because you can't do it all and you shouldn't do it all. And it mm -hmm. takes time, just like you said. So the whole point of the scorecard is, oh, I know exactly what area of my business is the weakest. I'm going to focus on that until it's fixed. And then I'll work on the next weakest part, the, the next constraint in my business. And if you have that kind of narrow focus on one thing at a time until it's no longer a constraint, 
my goodness, you unlock so much growth and potential and momentum because you're taking action on things that you'll be able to actually get momentum from instead of, I'm going to build another app or I'm going to build another feature. I'm going to work on another landing page that nobody's going to visit. No, that's not the big constraint. The big constraint is no one knows you exist. So focus on that until people know you exist and you have enough traffic. And then you can focus on traffic or sales or conversion rates or email or whatever is next. But one thing at a time is so important for people. Yeah, I agree. And and those are, are what we call those those needle movers. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, the needle doesn't have to move a lot, right? It it can be those those small steps, but over time add up to a to a lot of big steps, as you said. And I have a, a new rule um that I, it was a few weeks ago that I was like, okay, that's it, no more webinars. I am not attending another webinar, no matter how good it may seem. And because I know with a webinar, I'll get a few bits of information because I always mm -hmm. do like they're, they're, they're great. There are a few bits, but I'm, they're not helping me get to where I need to be. They're not helping move my business. Or if it's, you know, if it's something about like, I just, I saw one about a month ago and I said, okay, that was it. And it was about health and eating well and exercise. And I'm like, I watched it all and I just said, you know, there, there was a couple bits in there, but then I thought, I know this stuff. Like it's not, it's not new. So that was an hour and I like <laughs> the people that put it on, but it's like, it, it, it's not getting me anywhere. And it's easy yeah. to buy another book, attend another, you know, webinar, um, go to a summit and get bits of information. But as you said, if you're not, if we're not using it, and if those things aren't really what we need to be doing within our business, they're not really helping us. We're being busy, but we're not being productive. Yeah, so, so true. Action always doesn't lead to results. So you got to make sure that you're focused on the outcomes and the results and not just taking action every day. So why are you working out? Why are you meditating? Why are you writing a thousand words a day? Is it to stay active or is there a result that you're after? And could you actually get that result? quicker or in a better way or a shortcut. Yeah. Focus on the results is a major mindset shift that'll help a lot, a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And what, um, what kind of things do you think or, or that you've kind of seen um, are, are those things that people really need to be doing that people kind of put off the most, but that would make the, the biggest impact for them? I really think it's mindset. I, I always start there. And every time that I put together, like talk about my framework or anything like that, we spend 80% of the time on mindset and the rest on the strategies and the skills and the systems and all that stuff. Because if you don't have the right mindset and you build a system, then it's not going to work on its own. It still needs inputs in order to work. And if you're not feeding it the inputs that it needs to create the outputs, then it's a system that's just kind of dormant and it doesn't work. So you have to do that mindset work first. The reason that I called my business Craftsman Creative and now Craftsman Films, it comes from the book So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport, which I read in like 2015 or 2016. And that was a pivotal moment, a tipping point of my business where I was approaching everything a certain way with this like passion artist mindset, where I just felt like, okay, if I want to succeed. I need to do more art. I need to do more work. I need to work harder, longer, faster, whatever. I need to get better at my craft. None of those things were actually true. What I needed was the craftsman mindset, which Cal Newport defines as an outcome-focused approach to creative work. And I think it applies to entrepreneurship and business ownership and any other industry that we could talk about. 
I tend to focus on creative entrepreneurs and business owners because that's where I live. But mm. I think it applies just as much to founders and entrepreneurs and people like in those areas. And so what you're looking at is shifting from, do I have enough passion to what's the outcome? Like we were just talking about. So with my business, Craftsman Creative, I recently shift the, shifted the outcome because before before I was doing full-time film producing, like I did one, no, I did two movies last year and I felt like, okay, that's the right amount that I want to be doing it more than two. I'd be gone too much. My family life would be, would suffer a little bit. And I don't want that. And so I said, great, how am I going to make two movies a year and have the craftsman creative consulting stuff and community stuff fit into the rest of the year? Well, it turns out that that's like 75% film and 25% crafts and creative. Okay, so the outcome shifted from this is a six-figure business that I spend 12 months a year on to how do I make it a six-figure business in three months a year and then nine months a year of an hour or two a week maintenance. Well, that's a very specific outcome that led to me changing my offers, changing my product ecosystem, changing the approach that I was taking with it. I'm not trying to big, build a big scale business because I can't maintain that sort of um, hamster wheel of being on social media every day and being active every day and marketing every day. I just, I literally turn it off when I do films. So that's not sustainable. So how can I fit it into a three month window of time and still make 250 or $300,000? That's a lot. Well, that's gonna require a very different approach with high ticket offers, probably an event, a lot of lead up through email and direct outreach before that. None of those things existed six months ago until I shifted the outcome and then reverse engineered the approach of how I'm gonna achieve it. That's great. And I think that is, you know, probably a thing that a lot of people need to, to think about and potentially work on is, Let's let's start with the the end results uh, of what we would like to have, and and as you said, reverse engineer that to see then what we need to do um, on a, a quarterly basis, uh, down to a monthly, and even even break it down to to yearly and potentially daily what what needs to be done, and having those systems in place is really gonna gonna help do that because then it's okay. I know this is what I need to do today. No other distractions. This. This is my focus. This is what I need to do today. And then, you know, as, as you said, that's that's where you're at now. And you've got your family and kids. And, and who knows, in 10, 15-ish years, I'm not sure how old your kids are, but, you know, as they become adults or, or older, again, you, you'll you be potentially in a, in a different space where maybe it will be then three three movies a year or three films a year. Um, and, and I think people need to consider that too. It's It's where are you right now? What's important right now? What are the steps to to get to where we want to be for right now? And maybe that could be like just this year and maybe the next five years because life happens. Things change. Um, some people will have kids moving out of the home. Some people will have new ones arriving. Um, parents can get sick and, and move or they get, you know, relocation because of their spouse. I mean, there's thousand things that could that could happen and and I think then with those things having those systems in place also makes it manageable to be like okay these are the systems do I need to modify or adjust them a little bit because this new life thing is happening mm -hmm. I think you hit on something that is also really important for people to realize is that 
the the way that you were talking about your your goals and your quarters and your months and your weeks and stuff, I really like to help people understand they probably have enough time for three to four big projects a year. For some people, that's empowering because it's like, oh, I've only been doing one or two. So, wow, how am I going to do three or four? I could write a book. I could do another project. I could start a blog. I could start a podcast. Like those things tend to take about three months at a time. So I kind of chunk it into what do you want to do every quarter? You could have a, a cool creative project every quarter. And that really lines up in the business world as well. You're constantly doing mm -hmm. quarterly reports and quarterly goal setting and setting new KPIs and all those things. So for me, I really set four goals for the year. Here are my top four. And I have number one, number two, number three, number four. So if I get number one and not all the rest, I'm okay with that. But if I get number four and not one, two, three, I'm going to be a little disappointed. So that's how I prioritize those things. But then those quarterly projects inform your monthly milestones because a project is too big of a chunk to eat all at once. So you're not mm -hmm. going to just write a book today or this week or even this month, but you can definitely do it in three months. So mm -hmm. what are the milestones for those three months? And you might have a lot more clarity for the next couple of weeks and not as much for month two and three, but that's okay because you'll get there. So then every month you're kind of looking at what's the ne next month look like and what are my weekly action items that I need to get done. And that informs your week. And then your week informs your day where you're going, okay, I have three things I'm going to do this week to get that project done by the end of the quarter. And all of a sudden that becomes your priority. And what's really amazing is when you get really good at it, you realize that it doesn't need to take 40 hours a week. I've been working about 30 hour weeks for two or three years now. And I still have multiple six-figure businesses. So like it's possible and it's not because I'm special or really talented or super good looking. All of those things are true, but that's not <laughs> why they're happening, right? So we have to understand that like if we're focused on the right things and if we're focused on just one project at a time, it becomes so much easier to get so much more done. And now that unlocks your potential. So all of a sudden, well, what's possible a year from now that wasn't possible last year? I'm I'm writing a book and I have a sponsor for this book. So I'm being paid to write my next book, even though I don't have an agent, I don't have a publisher, I don't have any, have any of those things. My last book sold about 250 copies. So in no normal situation would someone be looking at me as someone to invest money into. But here we are. I have a partner. I have a sponsor for my next book. And I'm raising a film fund. I couldn't have done that last year because I didn't have the mindset where I could see that as a possibility. But because I'm doing this work and I produced two movies last year and they both went really well and I got even better at my job, I'm going, man, I see some problems in the industry that I think I could fix. What if I raised a fund? I could do this and this and that. And all of a sudden that potential, potent, like the potential potential <laughs> led to action mm -hmm which is leading to results. And so that virtuous cycle or that flywheel of your mindset informs your potential, which informs your action, which informs your results, just keeps getting faster and faster and shorter and shorter and better and better. And that's what I always encourage people to look at. Do you have a limiting mindset that's making you go backwards or do you have an empowering one that's helping you move forwards? As soon as you get the hang of that and you have a few rotations in, those first few are hard like any flywheel. But as soon as you get a few rotations in, my goodness, it's like it picks up its own momentum and you're off to the races at that point. 
Yeah, that's that's great. And I think, you know, I think that's a, a great place to to kind of end things on um, is is definitely having that mindset and knowing it's like anything. When we learn to ride a bike, it was hard at first. When we learn to tie our shoes, it was hard at first. When we started driving, we're like, oh, my gosh, we're paying attention to so many things. And just after repetition and doing it and doing it, we it just becomes easier and easier. And it's it's the same with with growing our business because there's systems in place. When we ride a bike, we don't think about it, but there, there are things that we do repetitively. Same with tying yeah. our shoes and, and our daily routines. And, and so doing that repeatedly, getting the system, having the mindset first, putting in the systems and then repeating it over and over and over again. And, and we will become successful at whatever it is our, our adventures and, and businesses are. So just one last time, Darren, if people wanted to get in touch with you, they wanted to work with you, what are some ways that they can do that and um, places where they can find your book? Yeah, the best place I send people to is my free scorecard that I mentioned earlier. So if you go to scorecard.craftsmancreative.co, that's the free scorecard takes about three minutes and it'll give you a little bit of micro consulting where I'll tell you, here's where you should be putting your focus and here are some resources to help you do that. Um, craftsmancreative.co has all the things that I create. So my book, my podcast, my newsletter, all those things are there. And yeah, if you want to follow me online, I'm at Darren T. Smith everywhere. So I generally post more of the consulting and creative entrepreneur type stuff on Twitter and LinkedIn over on my Instagram is where I'm posting like behind the scenes pictures every day of being on set. So depending on what flavor you prefer, you can come find me on those, uh, social networks. Excellent. And we will make sure to have all those links in the show notes below for everybody. So thank you very much, Darren, for your time. I'm sure our listeners got a lot of valuable information. I got some great tips as well. And so thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks, Sally. It was a pleasure.